Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the bar as well as the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. This is Jordan Rich. My guest today is attorney Michael L. Lonzana. He's got a practice in Needham, and he focuses on landlord-tenant issues and real estate law. He's currently vice chair of the Real Estate Law Section Council of the Mass Bar Association. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the Mass Bar B podcast, first of all. Thank you. All thank right, you so for having me. Landlord-tenant issues. We're going to cover three, and we might have to have you back and others back to cover more because it's it's a pretty complicated issue for many people. But the first one involves Mother Nature and what she does to us this time of year. She drops snow on us. And this becomes uh, a sticking point for people occasionally. Whose responsibility is it to shovel the snow if you're in a landlord-tenant situation? So let's start with that. Okay. So if uh, the lease is silent or the written agreement between the parties is silent, the landlord's going to be responsible for snow removal. If there's any sort of shared egress or whatever area needs to be shoveled, if it's non-exclusive to mm-hmm. one of the units, then the landlord needs to be responsible. Generally speaking, do landlords, are they aware that they should have this written into their leases? They're aware that if they want the tenant to do it, it needs to be written, right, right. written in the lease. So sometimes they write it in the lease when it's not legal or the situation doesn't call for the being able to shift shift the responsibility to the tenant. How often does this become an issue? I mean, in your practice, what have you seen? Well, yeah, one of my first cases, the genesis of it was uh, snow shoveling, actually. Um, and I think it was 2015. Uh, oh, the, the big year. Yeah, the winter, the winter from hell. And that was a single, right, that was a single family house, I believe, but it wasn't written into the lease. And... Uh, the tenants were a professional couple, and I was representing the landlord. Um, but they were missing work and missing meetings, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so if you have a, th- for example, if you have a three-family where all the apartments go out one exit in the back, one exit in the front, you can't, you know, the landlord's not able to shift that onto any one of the tenants. Of course, the landlord can make some sort of side agreement with one of the tenants that, hey, you know, I'll give you 150 bucks a month mm-hmm. if uh, you show if you're responsible for the walk, right. something like that. But okay. in terms of actually attaching it to the property and the, the rights the landlord and tenant have in the property, you can't do that. If you have a, for example, a two-family side-by-side where each unit has their own walkway, that's perfectly fine that you can say, you're, you know, you're, or the uh, driveways and other things. Each unit has exclusive place to put their car. You can make them shovel. What about liability? The big issue sure. is slippage and people falling okay, and, and causing problems. Okay, that's a good question. Problem. So just because the landlord has shifted that onto the tenant legally. It means the shovel part. The shoveling, you know, shoveling the walk. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, let's talk about your, your front walk to get into your front or your house. You have a separate egress. You write it into the lease. The tenant's responsible. Okay, the tenant doesn't shovel. Third party comes along, slips, breaks their leg. They're still going to sue the landlord, and the landlord's still going to be responsible, along with the tenant. They're both going to be responsible. But primary responsibility falls on the landlord. Well, the landlord is the one that's going to be insured. Right. So the the claimant is going to go after the landlord because they're going to have the easiest uh, way of getting paid. 
Understood. Okay, so Understood. just, you know, the landlord has to understand that just because you've shifted this responsibility onto the tenant doesn't mean your liability just vanishes into thin air. There's still things to deal with. Let's move on to subject two, which involves utilities. Who's responsible for them and how important is that lease uh, regarding utilities? Sure. So it's a similar concept where as long as the utility you're speaking of is exclusively used for one of the units, you can make the tenant responsible as long as it's in writing. Okay. So tenant paying utilities has to be in writing. So a very common problem we'll see, and these these problems usually arise after there's already been some problems between the the landlord and tenant. They're kind of problem two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. For example, there'll be a there'll be lights in the hallway, and there's no common meter. So let's say you have a three family. You walk around to the side of the building, you'll see there's only three electric meters. Okay, that means that the lights in the basement, the lights in the hallway, the lights in the back hallway, it means they're, they're on somebody's meter. So one of the tenants is paying electricity for the hallway, the basement, and the basement. For example, you could say unit one, hey, you know, the basement is yours for storage, so that's fine. But if the landlord is keeping uh, tools in the basement and, you know, the tenants are storing r- random stuff in the basement and it's not being exclusively used for one of the units, they shouldn't be paying for it. And they can ask for a refund on their electric bill that they've been paying, and sometimes for years. This often happens after somebody signs a lease. They discover these issues, right? So, um, In my experience, this is most common when the unit's in disarray, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. The tenant is angry. They're not getting things fixed. Um, there's leaks, there's mice, there's roaches, and they discover in addition to these condition problems, they start investigating there's and they that. realize there's all these other right. uh, laws being broken. Right. We're talking about uh, landlord-tenant rights, just a few of several important issues that people need to think about. And the third one involves uh, court action and when that is happening, how it's happening, and who initiates it and why. Okay. The, the most important thing people need to understand is that there's two ways for a tenant to be moved out of the apartment. One is for them to leave voluntarily, and the second is a court order. There's no other way to get a tenant out. So it's always great to have, uh, if you're the landlord and you have some sort of problem, you want the tenant to leave, do what you can do to get them to move out voluntarily. If you're going to go to court, the procedural process is called summary process. It's a unique procedural framework for evictions designed to to move fast, to expedite things because a, a typical lawsuit can last a year, two years. Obviously, a land, if somebody's not paying rent, you can't wait two years mm. to get them out of the apartment. Right. And the landlord initiates the eviction. First, you serve a notice to quit, either a 14-day notice for a non-payment or a 30-day notice for no reason, basically, without a reason. The notice to quit expires, you serve the summons and complaint, and usually it's about a 6- to 12-week process depending on what type of eviction you're doing, assuming there's no delays. Okay, what about the recourse for the tenant in the case of using court action? Sure, so the tenant has a lot of options. Tenant can always initiate a court action, um, like we were just speaking of, a bread-and-butter lawsuit usually takes forever. Okay, so a lot of times it's advantageous to the tenant to either withhold rent, stop paying rent, 
have the landlord initiate an eviction and then assert your counterclaims in the in summary process. Because the process moves a lot faster that way? Correct. Okay. Um, most of the time it's going to be in housing court and housing court has a reputation for being a little bit more tenant friendly than a district court or a random small claims court. The tenant can really initiate a lawsuit, small claims, district court or housing court. Attorney Lanzana, let's just talk for a brief minute about the importance of having legal representation, particularly if you're a landlord these days, with so many rules yeah. and regulations. So, yeah, the thing I've noticed is that, you know, with the Internet now, tenants can, you know, all the statutes are available online. There's blogs, there's anything. It's very easy for a tenant to become familiar with their rights very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't – I wasn't practicing 15 years ago, but I was in the real estate business – and 15 years ago, this wasn't the case. If you're the landlord, to have an attorney look over your uh, an already prepared lease that hasn't been signed yet and uh, give you a couple of quick bullet points on what, what doesn't look great shouldn't be that expensive. And before we let you go, can you perhaps just give us a, a thumbnail as to what you're discussing these days with the Real Estate Section Council of the Mass Bar? What are some of the hot topics? It was assumed that most of the participants would be strict conveyancers, but once – conveyancers are people who do closings. Mm-hmm. But once we kind of all got together, we realized there was a lot of real estate litigators. So really any type of real estate dispute that winds up in court, you know, a, a purchase and sale that falls apart, that – Either one party wants their deposit back or one party wants to close and the other doesn't. Trust disputes, a lot of uh, contractor, home contracting type of disputes, any 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 kind of dispute okay. you can think of. I want to mention, of course, as we do in the close anyway, that MassLawHelp.com has a lot of general information that people can get, both landlords and tenants can get. But you've been very helpful in sort of outlining three main issues. There are more, and we'll probably do more with you and some of your colleagues. But I want to thank you very much and uh, wish you continued success. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to returning and speaking with you again. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. Now, if you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866-627-7577. Again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.